0: Can you remind me If if you'll be so kind Staring out into space Asking God to hear my case Trying to think of all
1: Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBate, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Um, today we're going to have a great show, and we're going to be talking about telemedicine, um, which is just kind of cutting edge these days. Um, but before we get to our guest, I always like to explain to our new audience Uh, Because we're always getting new listeners, uh, a little bit about Alzheimer Speaks, who the heck we are, and what we do. And bottom line, Alzheimer Speaks was created because my mom had dementia for thirty years, and I just didn't feel like we were raising everyone's voice, and I didn't feel like our family had enough access to services, products, and tools. And so, Alzheimer Speaks is not just a radio show, but we have a blog, we have a resource directory I do um, educational programming and consulting and and training etc. Um, so bottom line what we are is an advocacy based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe that by joining forces in sharing knowledge and having these everyday conversations about life with dementia that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss And we're going to let families live fully with um, and right alongside this disease. At our core, we also believe collaboration is the only way that we're going to win this battle against dementia. Because at this point, there is no cure. And so, you know, we have to kind of hold hands and, and walk together and listen to one another in terms of what is working. And this truly is kind of a trial and error. If it's research or if it's uh, social uh, support that we are giving to find out what is working and what can we try, um, and also to ignite our creative abilities because we we each hold those in a little different uh, way. And uh, so it's very exciting. And I have to thank our audience because of you, we were named the number one influencer online uh, for uh, Alzheimer's, according to Sharecare and Doctor Oz, and we were also recognized as an architect of change by Maria Shriver for humanity. And let me tell you, that would not have happened without you guys because we don't have a marketing budget. Everything we do here is word of mouth, and so. Those recognitions really extend to you um, being on our team and and part of our team. So I just want to thank you. I also want to let you know that, you know, maybe you could be our next guest because, again, we like to hear from everybody. So maybe you're a person wondering if you have memory loss. Maybe you are a person um, uh, who has been recently diagnosed or a family member or a loved one caring for somebody who has a story that they want to share. Maybe you're a business that's developed services, products, or tools. Maybe you've written a book, a song, a movie, um, or you have created some kind of advocacy project or you're working on a research endeavor. Um, give us a holler because, again, the only way that we can move forward is to listen to everyone's voices and I think truly work as a team. So. Um, The easiest way to catch me is just go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Both are plural. That's alzheimerspeaks.com. And up top, you'll see a big contact button where you can go ahead and shoot me an email or feel free to give me a a call as well. And I would be glad to have a conversation with you. Uh, This uh, fall, for those of you who aren't aware, we are going to be doing a cruise. We are going to the Bahamas for seven days and we are going to have a symposium. We're going to do a lot of relaxing, a lot of rejuvenating, and a lot of learning and building camaraderie. And it's going to be a really unique cruise because um, my team of speakers for the symposium uh, has two other professionals like myself Cindy Lazinski, who also is working with dementia friendly communities in Colorado. And we also have Becky Watson, who is a music therapist. And then the highlight is we have four people living with dementia who will be speaking as well. Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shearer, and Mary Reed. And this cruise is designed specifically for people with early to mid memory loss and their care partners now, some are bringing um, full families. Others are just bringing one care partner. Whatever works for you, um, we would love to have you join us. And again, just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and you will find lots of information there. You'll also find where you can download some helpful hints when dealing with dementia. So feel free to go ahead and do that as well. Well, I don't want to waste any more time. I really want to get into this conversation of telemedicine and dementia. And I'm honored that we have Roger Santos with us, who is a subject matter expert in the field of telemedicine. And he has spent about the past 30 years in collaboration in terms of um, different types of communicating technology in not only the corporate world, but higher education and the healthcare sectors. Um, to um, really work kind of remote, interactive communications. So the past 12 years, Roger has um, really worked specifically in the telemedicine system and the applications for hospitals, clinics, in rural communities. And, you know, rural communities so often get left out. I think this is just a wonderful sector. And so today we're going to be talking about this area of concentration of his work and how telemedicine and interactive technology applications work for, um, for memory care specific and just gerontology in general. So welcome, Roger. How are you today?
2: I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me on your show.
1: Well, I'm excited to have this conversation because I, I think, you know, our healthcare is out of whack, costs are through the roof, and... We need systems that are uh, that are going to work and that are going to drive costs down and care up. And so, um, first of all, I, before we start, I always like to ask all of our guests uh, one simple question, and that is, ha- has you or your family been touched by dementia at all?
2: Yes. So, uh, my mother has uh, mid-stage uh, Alzheimer's, and... Um, It was initially her uh, diagnosis that got me thinking more about how we deal with and manage the uh, care for Alzheimer's dementia and then a number of other categories uh, when the majority of that person's time is spent away from a medical facility and clinic. Mm -hmm. Uh, What happens in that interim period that is important for your uh, practitioner to know about And and what can we do to effectively help uh, mitigate and and slow down some of these uh, congenital diseases and things? So she was uh, she was my model for uh, for getting into this.
1: Yep, it's it's amazing when it touches your family, how everything changes. Um, It really does. You know, the the old saying goes, you don't know what you don't know. And I, I don't think that's ever been truer. Um, you know, in this, in this particular sector. I mean, it's just, it's kind of phenomenal what we don't know. Why don't we talk a little bit about um, telemedicine and remote patient monitoring? And and first of all, what are they? Are they the same? Are they different? Is it just two different terms or um, what are they? Just why don't you share that with our audience first to give us some basics.
2: Sure. The, uh, So, telemedicine is typically a term that is applied to instant or real-time communication between a patient and a provider, uh, care provider, Mm -hmm. and in that you can have strictly voice, you can have voice and video, uh, voice, video, and data, that data being uh, real-time monitoring of vital signs or updates of uh, captured information, mm-hmm. and that captured information is the monitoring part of of the equation. So when you're not actually engaged in a uh, consultation, you are living your life as normal. <clears throat> so having devices that allow you to be uh, monitored in the case of uh, Alzheimer's, uh, dementia cases, You might have, um, say, bed monitors that uh, notify and record um, excessive movements, maybe a lot of thrashing around at night if you're restless. Um, It might record you getting out of bed and send out an alert that uh, tells your care provider, the person who's perhaps with you, that you are doing something that could potentially hurt you if you are a fall uh, potential high-risk fall category person. Motion monitors throughout the house, monitoring your daily motion and activities for continuity. Um, And when the parameters of the monitoring solution are exceeded, either too little or too much of any given task, um, a note, depending on the severity of the discretion between the the norms, is then sent to a provider, um, notifying them that something out of the norm for this patient is occurring. And then that doctor, that uh, provider, can make a judgment call as to whether to uh, contact and get direct information about what's going on with that particular patient, as opposed to waiting around and gathering the data that is collected over a predetermined amount of time, uploaded, and then they do an assessment analysis. Mm -hmm. So there can be a quick intervention component to monitoring a patient from home. That patient can also enter in um, pertinent information. Maybe it's a diary log. Maybe it's data about their uh, diabetes numbers. Maybe their weight, uh, blood pressure, heart monitor, any number of things captured, recorded, and then an, uh, an analysis of that information can be used to ID whether conditions that that patient's going through who happens to have Alzheimer's is consistent with other patients and are there other components to Alzheimer's besides memory loss that we should be aware of that are directly affected by the disease itself. Mm -hmm. And when we go to treat these other seemingly isolated things. Should we be thinking of them in terms of being cause and effect? So that kind of data is incredibly important, and that's called monitor data. And it's remote monitor updates you uh, at particular intervals. And then, again, back to the video conferencing or the telemedicine component, you are sharing in real time uh, what's going on.
1: Okay. So, you know, when when this monitoring is taking place, is this, um, just for clarification, does this go to, let's say if I was taking care of my mom, would the information go to me? Does it go to a doctor? Does it go to a, a third-party service? Um, where exactly does it go?
2: Really good question. So there are a lot of companies out there who are working on providing RPMs, which is uh, remote patient management mm-hmm. tools an application that sits on a cloud and you can access it through a tablet or some interface device uh, presumably it's designed around being very intuitive for the end user to use and the information is put in um, the passive information gathered by motion detectors bed monitors etc um, can be captured in a way and then reviewed by the patient, by the care provider, by, the, uh, by your doctor. Um, so anyone authorized to, to look at and see what's going on can do that. So if you have, um, oh, your children are, are far away, if you have an in-home care provider, um, all of the information and things that are gathered and put into the system can be pulled up remotely on a mobile device by your your children uh, anybody you give authorization to so they can see in real time where and what is going on with you and these are these are wonderful tools to help keep you uh, fully connected and aware of everything going on because we can't always uh, be geographically in the same space companies like uh, care innovations for example have Put together solutions that are end to end. And what I mean by end to end is they work with the provider, they work with the payers, whether private or, or public payers, uh, insurance companies. And when there's an authorization from either of them for a patient to have a system, uh, the company sends out a box with all of the appropriate uh, pieces uh, prescribed by. The authorization uh, person and when it arrives they're contacted by uh, in this case Care Innovations and they are given a walkthrough tutorial on how to use the system and it's a very intuitive solution Um, but they are a uh, 24-hour seven-day a week call that you can make at any time as a patient for support so this takes a company who is providing a service on behalf of a doctor and or payer that makes the information available to not only them but everybody that is appropriate to have access to the information. And it's tools and processes like that along with back-end analysis, so algorithms that are developed to take in the information that's coming to them, analyze that information and make some determinations um, as we get in further into the world of uh, artificial intelligence, the algorithms are making much better analysis and choices and informing in real time better information for the providers to react and respond to a lot of the conditions that that we see in, in our patients.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, I use that particular company just as an example of Where you might start looking to understand what the tools and solutions that are out there, and there are many, um, and then how to go about uh, looking into getting and being part of that, that type of program.
1: Okay, well, and I appreciate you kind of defining payers too, because a lot of times people don't understand the the the, um, the verbiage that's used out there in the industry um you know with this um you know you, so let's say a family decides they want to get involved with this, do they set this stuff up themselves or? Do companies come in and do this setup? Because I know, I you know, I've heard there's all different kinds of things from um, lights that can go on just as, you know, to light up the way as people go to the restroom and it's checking to see where they've been maybe in their house, if they've gone to the restroom, if they've gone to the fridge, if they've opened up the cabinet that has their medicine. Um, I mean, there's so many different things that it can do. Um, how, how does that work And is one. And then two... Does the system you're talking about use video cameras in in the home? Because I know that there's some real pros and cons uh, that people feel really strongly on both sides, with uh, you know having cameras on in the house as far as privacy goes.
2: Absolutely. Okay. So the to answer the first part of that question, um, the way in which companies engage and support vary depending on the provider so let's build a mental picture of what's happening a manufacturer develops a particular application and some hardware tools that allow you to interface with that application Um, the scope and depth of what that application will do as far as gathering the information how it gets the information and that vary company to company um, because there are so many different levels of needs and requirements for patients. <clears throat> so what the, the, the procedural process of this is um, provider, your doctor, or payer, your insurance provider has said, I want my patient to have some service, and they define what that service is. And they have uh, manufacturers that they work with who develop these things and we'll ship this stuff out, Mm -hmm. okay? So a a request goes to the manufacturer, the manufacturer puts together the appropriate box of stuff, sends it to the patient, it arrives. Um, This is where the variable comes in depending on the company that's that's providing this. So um, I'm very familiar with Care Innovation, so I'll use their model as an example. So the product arrives, the company calls that person, it confirms the arrival time because they've been tracking the delivery as well, they confirm the product has arrived, they walk them through opening it up and answer any and all questions that patient has um, just to get them up and running and started, and they walk through everything, Mm -hmm. and then remain available to be called at any time if the patient has additional questions regarding the equipment. Mm -hmm. Most of the equipment that that you receive is fairly straightforward and easy uh, to use. We're usually fairly comfortable with it. Um, When it gets a little more complex where you're doing uh, passive monitoring, where you may be installing motion detectors, uh, you're setting up and maybe having to connect um, bed monitoring devices, things of that nature, companies like theirs, will contract with uh install providers that will come out locally if they don't have their own come out and they subcontract them to come out and fit all that up for you Mm -hmm. get it up and running walk through test the whole system make sure everything's working correctly and uh, that's essentially the process most of the time the monitoring tools and solutions consist of things like a tablet where you can enter in information, a scale with a Bluetooth, uh, maybe a blood cuff that does uh, blood pressure monitoring that has Bluetooth, and these things just automatically sync up to the tablet that comes in your kit. Most always, you'll receive some sort of a tablet interface with a custom interface that is very big in icons, very easy to identify, and with a very simple flow process so that the information gets put in and captured and then put into the database in the cloud where the patient's doctor and everybody else that is assigned can access and see the information. But it's usually a very simple process. But if you do get into physical implementation of devices, uh, installation uh, type setups, those services are already prearranged for helping you get that uh, put together.
1: Okay. So I have a question because I was talking with somebody the other day and I honestly can't remember who it was. And they're like, oh, yeah, this will take your blood pressure and it'll do this and that. And you just wear this system and it, it does all these different <laughs> things for people. And I thought, man, if that was just me without dementia or um, somebody with dementia, that would just scare me if something just starts blowing up my arm. You know, <laughs> that would scare me. So- well,
2: it does. And, <laughs> and having. You were there, and I've just very recently experienced this with uh, with my mother. Um, we were in the hospital, and uh, and the reason we were in there is, is another good little story that uh, is a soon support of doing telemedicine remote monitoring. But anyway, she would put on the blood cuff and start pumping it up, and it would cut into her, or it was squeezing her arm too tight, or something, and she was irritated by it, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and this is something we've all grown up with, we've done for many, many, many years, but when we're in this particular condition, it's not the same thing, and then, of course, doing this at home Mm -hmm. uh, really protects, it it takes a partner, someone there who's working with you as the patient to really help you through the process, Mm -hmm. and the further through the process you go, the more difficult using any of this equipment is, but it's still very, very vital. And if I could just share an anecdotal story around what makes that vital. Um, So recently, uh, in the case of my mother, we had uh, a little bit of excitement where she was already uh, prone to fall, Mm -hmm. but she was feeling very dizzy And she had no outward signs of any problems other than being very dizzy. And then fell, collapsed, and needed help getting to the hospital. We did that. And they took an MRI. Mm -hmm. The physical therapist evaluated her, could find no physical outward signs of any issues or problems. But after the MRI, they realized that there was an arrhythmia from the heart that had caused some aneurysms in the brain, Mm -hmm. small little tiny ones. And that comes back to the, is there a cause and effect? Everybody can have these without having dementia, but is there a correlation between the two becomes a question. Mm -hmm. And coming back to the whole home monitoring, uh, whether you're in assisted living, or you're at home, wherever you are, um, monitoring and being able to start putting these patterns of conditions together, and then being able to look at that data and compare it to another person's data. Compare it to another person, and we start to build a model of conditions that seem to be uh, that correlate around the dementia condition. Gives us a, a quantum leap forward in understanding of one, what to anticipate, but two, what sort of things may be causing or uh, creating additional conditions or issues around the initial component of of Alzheimer's um, and whether or not treating any of those subsets or seeming subsets will affect or help the condition of the Alzheimer's. This kind of data and information is absolutely critical to getting us to a point where we can actually say we're ready to start attacking and defeating the condition of Alzheimer's more we get, the more data we get, the more we understand about this and its process and all of the subset things that go into it, the better off we are as a community in trying to resolve and defeat this. Mm-hmm. And so that's another e- example of why it's important to have good monitoring, consistent monitoring, whether you're at the hospital or at home, so that data doesn't get lost. Oftentimes, you walk in, the doctor says, so how do you feel? And at at that very moment, you feel great. Mm -hmm. But for the last three weeks, you've had a number of things that you've completely forgotten about that would be relevant or important to share. Well, now, that's captured. And the doctor can look at that data and then review it with you and say, "Okay, well, what about? Oh, yeah, that's true. That happened. Um, But that's that's why. And I, I apologize. I think I missed your second question. A minute
1: ago. Oh, that—that's okay. I forgot what it was by now. Anyways, so. okay. <laughs> okay. we're we're good. We're good. Um, <laughs> we're on the right show. Okay. Yeah, you're on the right show. Yeah, you're on the right show. Uh, yeah, I just, um, I, I just think it's so in important in terms of getting some of these things established early. And I think um, so often what happens is people say, "Well, we don't need that yet," but you know, as my experience, anyways, with my mom was. If we would have implemented these things earlier on, then it wouldn 't have caused her distress. It would have become part of her routine and kind of a natural process for her exactly and um, exactly. you know if we can avoid like trips to the doctor because after a while, I mean that was a horrible process for her she always every time we went to the doctor, she thought oh something 's wrong something 's seriously wrong where she used to like to go to her doctor, and she was very much on um, doing all of her annual, you know, exams and things, but it just got to the point where taking her out was just traumatizing to her. And if there would have been a way to filter that information, um, you know, when she was in the nursing home, then she ended up having a, a doctor and, um, nurse come to her and she didn't have to go out, but still having that information translated and charted and, and just accessible. Cause it's, It's hard for families to make all the notations that we probably should, and it's difficult for a person with dementia to remember to do it as well. You know, life is busy, and a lot of times we think little things aren't important, but when a professional looks at them, they see things in a whole different light. And, um, you know, and so... I, I think that this is very, uh, really interesting concepts as far as, um, cause people are going to want to know about costs. Um, is this stuff covered by insurance or is this all out of pocket? And, um, why don't we just start with that? So, so I won't forget my yeah, second question. So, I get know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, back to our friends, the payers, um, <laughs> We often think of ourselves as being the payers, but in in fact, in this case, we're really talking about the insurance companies and private versus public. Uh, There has been a tremendous amount of uh, change in coverage and what's acceptable coverage. And it might even surprise you who the early adopters in uh, covering this sort of uh, care really were. Mm-hmm. It turns out the private payer was actually among the first uh, to accept this over the public pay. So Medicare, medi very slow to pick up on this. <clears throat> but the reason um, it, when you start to break it down becomes fairly intuitive uh, just from a financial side because more and more we're trying to prevent the readmittance of a patient to a hospital. Uh, for the same problem Um, it's an extremely expensive proposition to bring them to what we refer to as the brick-and-mortar world Um, and it is terribly inconvenient and uncomfortable for the patient Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you've seen and personally uh, experienced I'm sure all of the long wait times in the lobby then they finally call your name and they put you into a small little room where you get to wait even longer for about five minutes of your doctor's time, whether that's in an emergency room or whether it's at your uh, private uh, position. It's not a process that is conducive to your individual health. And when you're dealing with dementia, now you're really compounding the problem because moment by moment, there's a fear and an uncertainty and anxiety in the patient that says, why am I here? What are we doing? Who are these people? I am not comfortable here. It's noisy. And their anxiety level goes way up, which mm-hmm. skews a lot of the information that would otherwise be very important for the doctor to have. By moving them to that home care environment, um, the insurance companies realize that they gain advantage on cost and on actual uh, usable data information that potentially can prevent a larger issue problem complication going forward Mm
0: -hmm. so
2: there's a real financial motivation on the behalf of insurance companies to participate now that said it hasn't been a rocket ride to the top of the acceptable paying and the reason for that is political Mm -hmm. not financial and each of the states even in fact just I think it was early at the beginning of this year the last state Texas signed legislation that said you can actually take on a provider that you have not actually personally seen in face to face through telemedicine you can establish a relationship with a provider, and have care treatment. Um, These are huge hurdles that we had to overcome in the acceptance of telemedicine as a legitimate interface or an encounter for a medical condition of any kind. Mm -hmm. Having made that hurdle opened up a lot of doorways, but a few of the ones that are still closed uh, evolve around where you are as a provider, as a doctor, providing treatment for a patient for a particular condition. In the context of what we're talking about, typically our loved ones have got access to a doctor locally who is following their condition. And they're not traveling around the world or out of state. But specialists and that they want to uh or can play a significant role in their care have to be licensed in multiple states in order to participate and be uh part of the payment process Mm -hmm. it's a very convoluted uh, logistical thing that we're really unwinding yeah in the early years of telemedicine it was just simply looked upon as a really cool toy that nobody wanted to pay for and no one trusted, and how could you possibly uh, gather relevant information if you couldn't uh, meet and see and touch the person? Mm-hmm. That's being eclipsed by a much broader acceptance and understanding that we have a decline in, in specialists and providers, payor, uh, providers uh, taking care of us, and we have a growing population. And the population, I'm sure you've shared with your audience, and they're well aware of the 65 plus category of uh, folks in in the U.S. alone is going to reach somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 million by uh,
0: 2050.
2: Mm-hmm. So a quarter of our population is going to consist of folks who are going to be in the category who would truly benefit from telemedicine. So insurance providers are jumping more and more on board, realizing the cost-benefits-savings to them, and the politicians and and, uh, organizational structures that are in place to regulate medicine and that are capitulating and saying, yes, this is the new paradigm, yes, we have to start going here, and start treating the encounters as though they are brick-and-mortar face-to-face encounters, Mm -hmm. um, and paying uh, equivalent to that of an encounter in an office. So the paying component is, is important too. Medicare, mm-hmm. Medicaid, as we all know, typically does not pay as well as private payers. But um, so the, the battle between the private payer and the public payer continues on, even with telemedicine. it doesn't really change that paradigm. But uh, as you're following legislation and everybody's idea of what's, what's the best solution, um which still hasn't really been presented by anyone yet but we're working towards it
0: mm-hmm.
2: hopefully that uh, that component uh, evolves to be much more respective and responsive to these needs and uh, i think once you're diagnosed and you're in the in this particular category it becomes much easier to get authorization for payment for services like telemedicine
0: mm-hmm. and
2: telemonitoring. these devices do get paid for through those processes, Uh, but you got to work with your, your provider or your payer to, to get that done.
1: So um, I guess I'll, I'll just bring up a concern I would have as a, as a consumer in terms of paying the same amount because um, staff time is going to be reduced because I'm not interacting with, you know, a receptionist and a nurse and a doctor and, you know, I mean, those those things are going to be different. And I look at um, just in terms of um, telecommunications in general, usually cut costs. And so, if they're the costs that are being cut are really at the consumer end, in terms of the drive time, and you know, maybe they don't need metro mobility to get them there in a stress level, but it's really not cutting medical costs down um, from the insurance side. So as a consumer, that would just be a thought that I would have in terms of adjusting that somewhat because depending on what they find, you might have to go back in and things could definitely change. I was in, and I'll use um, real estate for an example, Um, real estate started doing a lot more stuff electronically and now they don't need as many buildings. They don't need as much office space, I mean, because business is being done differently And so, um, you know, I I just think that that needs to be looked at in the equation as well, because otherwise it's not um, as as much as it it may help the consumer. It's still not helping um, our budget issues that we have at hand. And um, and so I'll just throw that in because I'm sure that I've got listeners out there kind of thinking that that same route, um, you know, with this. And I and I also think that. Um, you know, if there's reduced costs with that, uh, you know, there may be more interaction, you know, for for somebody. So, um, at a at a lesser acuity level, which is better um, for everybody, um, to be able to catch things and monitor things. And I also like with um, the whole concept of the telemedicine, and we saw this a lot with. Um, Social media groups dealing with people with dementia, people say, well, those those people aren't, you know, you really don't have relationships with them. You don't have friendships. You don't have this. You don't have that. And yet those contacts were much richer and deeper um, than what they were having with people face-to-face because so many so many people were isolated. And so I think there could be a burden taken off there and maybe even different levels of players coming in, Um to analyze things to try to help keep costs down where maybe it's not a doctor, maybe it's an LPN that's, you know, or a triage kind of person who's handling the call initially to kind of see where it needs to go. Um, or maybe it's a home health home care organization monitoring it before it gets to um, a, a, an actual physician um, level. I don't know what the you know, and I think all of them probably have different levels of criteria on how they how they work with all of this stuff. Am I correct in in that last statement? What and and what do you think of my comment as far as costs?
2: So I agree. The the overall sort of the cost part and that is that we pay a deductible typically with our insurance policies. That would probably be modified somewhat because In a encounter typical today, we go into an office, well, they're paying rent, they're paying for utilities, Mm -hmm. they're paying for staff and some other things that go away to a degree. You still have a a billing agency back there. You now have an IT infrastructure organization. You do have um, the cost and time of the provider, the doctor themselves, but um, some of the ancillary into our billing uh, do tend to go away through this automation, mm-hmm. which is a great thing. Then we, um, so our, our deductibles may go down, the cost of the actual encounter for the payer goes down, and uh, subsequently we're, we're looking at a, a better financial cost for care through telemedicine than we did in a traditional encounter The infrastructure goes the, the procedural. So, if you're being monitored, typically that's going to be done by a technician who's going to be assessing and evaluating the data that comes in. This isn't necessarily going to be your doctor or even, say, a PA uh, or a nurse practitioner. Um, it's a technician who's going to be trained to evaluate and assess the information and data that's coming in. Mm-hmm. If it's something that again, falls out of the norm or needs escalation, then there's an immediate escalation path all the way through to an actual care provider or doctor mm-hmm. or specialist, whatever the appropriate response level is. So the idea that um, we have somehow eliminated some of the levels of infrastructure within the medical um, practice uh, hierarchies,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, hasn't actually gone away at all. We've just simply geographically dispersed them. Mm-hmm. So I might have um, a technician reviewing this, It's kicked up to a nurse practitioner, the nurse practitioner calls and says, you know, what are your meds, how have you been taking them, do you need a refill, that sort of thing, and maybe would be a direct inter- uh, encounter there. If there needs to be an escalation beyond their level of care, then they bump it up Uh, to the doctor Mm -hmm. and then when we have a predetermined date of encounter face-to-face through video with a doctor, then we get we get that encounter. Mm
0: -hmm. So
2: everybody is still all involved in this process. Labs get their information, uh, doctors get their information, etc. And the nice thing about the systems today um, how they've evolved is that you can be on an, any device. You can be on a tablet that is provided by a, a home care monitoring solution company, or you can be utilizing your own tablet or your own smartphone or your, your PC. Anything with a camera and a microphone will do. Mm-hmm. And um, so it makes being um, getting the care that you would get where you are possible anywhere anymore, Mm
0: -hmm. so you don't have
2: to worry about, well, we planned a getaway vacation. You're taking a whole bunch of folks on a cruise. Mm -hmm. Each of those people could have daily contact with their provider as if they had never left home, Mm -hmm. and everything about them would be known and and the care would be there, et cetera. your medical support goes with you wherever you go.
1: Okay. As long as there's internet access, all is good. <laughs> yes. so,
2: there you go. Okay. You could be on a safari in the middle of Africa and still, still be okay.
1: Okay. I have so many other questions for you. Um, there's a lot of kind of virtual reality that's going on and roles that it plays with, with mental health and also dementia. Let's talk a little bit about that, too, because that's very interesting sure. to me.
2: Very exciting stuff, yes. So uh, virtual reality, your audience has heard virtual reality. They may have heard augmented reality. Um, And even fewer probably heard of mixed reality, Mm -hmm. which is a combination of virtual and augmented realities. So let's break it down a little bit. Uh, So virtual reality is a, uh, think of it as a gaming environment basically you create a virtual world environment anywhere in any construction it could be imaginary moon station where you live or it could be um, living in the middle of france or or, uh, the outbacks of australia it could be anywhere Mm -hmm. and you create the environment in the scene and uh, you uh, interact with uh, that environment by moving around, looking at different things, and information can pop up. <clears throat> and by wearing goggles, you are able to be immersed, and by turning your head left to right, you get multiple degrees of view of the environment in which you're in. So it's what we refer to as an immersive uh, reality um, encounter. Mm-hmm. Now on the virtual reality side, why is that relevant to what we're talking about? there isn't a lot of data yet on the total benefits but the anecdotal information available today on the benefits of virtual reality and these encounters for patients with alzheimer's dementia in general is tremendous it stimulates the mind and gives them an encounter that they're lacking they're surrounded by four walls and the same faces every day Uh, They they become just a bit lethargic and apathetic to the environment, and they tend to close off. Well, this re-stimulates the mind. It is is as real as their mind allows it to become, Mm -hmm. and it becomes more and more so. Um, What they have found is that patients who are withdrawn, non-communicative, have a half-hour session, hour-long session, just in virtual reality, they are engaging they are excited they want to tell you about it they want to share the experience um, and there's no limit to where you can be or what environments you can explore when you do this you can be on a on that cruise virtually mm-hmm. uh, you can be anywhere and it gives them a sense of a way and different and stimulates us mm-hmm. and uh, it's again yet to be fully determined the the complete benefits and value to it but anecdotally everyone who has uh participated in it from a patient standpoint and a provider standpoint have just praised it considerably and uh and i just i can't advocate it enough augmented reality is slightly different Mm -hmm. so augmented reality Allows you to put objects into virtual space, and that sounds very high tech, but it just means that you wear a visor with a clear glass screen, which has an image projected on it of anything you can think of. It can be objects, specific objects like lamps, or or desks, or uh, PCs, or whatever you can imagine, Uh, simple blocks, and shapes and colors and what you do is you physically move your arms in air in front of you and looking through the lenses of these headsets you see what it is you're grabbing or manipulating and moving and it's your track the way it works is there are cameras in the headset that monitor where your hands are in, in virtual space of course correlate that to the object that is being projected And it appears in your mind's eye that you are grabbing a thing, moving it to another location, and you get a response to that thing. So in simplest imagery, we would say if you had a stroke or you had Alzheimer's and you had hand-eye-arm coordination uh, restrictions and you wanted to exercise them, physically you're now moving your arms and grabbing and and doing the things that are good from a motor skill standpoint. But by using the uh, augmented reality, you can grab an object of a particular shape to put it into the corresponding shapes hole, pulling it through using your hands and building uh, objects in virtual space, which gives you uh, cognitive uh, strengthening and mental uh mental dexterity to see what needs to be done put things in the proper sequences uh, plan and retain information long enough to make a choice or decision around what it is you're doing Mm
0: -hmm. so
2: programs designed specifically to work with the uh, acuity of the patient depending on the condition whether it's alzheimer's or it's uh some uh stroke or if it's even something uh childhood disease for uh, autism maybe anything you can think of which would be beneficial to be stimulating the mind and action and uh response so you get a reward for the action that you've completed and done that engagement uh, utilizing augmented reality is an exceedingly important thing. One of one of the companies that I like there that are doing really wonderful things, and it's such a new uh, venue. But Meta has has uh, just a fabulous headset um, product and tool, mm-hmm. um, even in the early stages of development, where this is something that is applicable for general use uh, medical uh, applications, and many other applications, of course, but just speaking to, to our audience, um, it's really only been around about five to six years in practical terms. So there's a great deal more for us to do and develop and grow, but by introducing this to our patients, you're re-stimulating a lot of things that are going dormant. While we go through the process of Alzheimer's. And that's, to me, that is just phenomenally important.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, interesting. There's lots, lots going on. That's for sure. Um...
2: There really is. It's a really exciting time to be engaged in a lot of this.
1: Well, I, we only have about, um, about seven minutes left here. What else would you like to discuss? Because I know I want to make sure that we, we get <laughs> out there what, what you feel is important because you're the expert in this area.
2: Well, so what I would say is that it's really important that we start asking for these tools. They're out there. What we don't really have today is a good marketing Uh, of what's available. What do we have that we can be asking for? Providers hesitate because there is a cost association for their initial engagements. They have gotta look at whether they can recoup. A lot of them are still touching their toes in the water of telemedicine. Um, There are large medical networks that are fully engaged, Mm -hmm. but there's still some levels of disconnect. And if we as patient and patient care providers are stronger in our advocacy for getting access to these tools, then we're going to see this much more mainstream. We'll start recognizing and seeing this in in news cycles. We'll see it in advertising. We'll see it out there. And that's really, really critical to making the kinds of inroads and the, and the information and data that we can collect from these virtual world encounters right down to motion and and response uh, that is a, a, an invaluable tool to get us to the point where we can start looking at ways to start curing these things. Um, these are all ways we can contribute towards the ultimate goal, which is being able to eradicate it. Um, it's understanding it. And to understand it, you've got to really see all of the things going on with the person. So these tools are things we need to advocate for, ask for, start talking to your payers, start talking to your providers, and uh, demand that uh, that you have access to these things and getting them paid for. This is how we, we can move the whole thing forward.
1: Okay. Well, that sounds really interesting. I'll have to uh, send you some information with a company that I'm uh, working with it is uh, pulling together a huge resource directory specific for dementia. And I think I think these types of things would be ideal to be listed on there um, because not only will the medical models um, have access to them, but so will the public. And maybe we can get that conversation started uh, more because I, I really That'll think that great. that is how um, dementia has made as many changes as it has just in the last um, five years is just getting the conversation going. And, you know, it takes a little while to kind of um, drill deep enough to get that conversation going. And we still have lo- a long, long, long ways to go. Um, but, you know, you're, you're never going to get there if you don't start. So I will, I yeah. will send you that information as well. Um, anything else that you'd like um, our listeners to know?
2: Well, I'm going to be a little presumptuous and speak on behalf of your listeners and myself in thanking you for, Putting the work you put into making this uh, a lot more visible, allowing a voice for this platform, and helping all of us get out what needs to be gotten out there. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, well, you've been tremendous for all of us.
1: Well, thank you. It's it's just something I felt as a family member that was needed, and uh, you know somebody's got to start this stuff. You know, so I just look yeah, at absolutely. it. You know, why can't I be involved and that's just always been my attitude, and you know I like to try to get other people to feel that same way, that passion that you know we all we all have purpose, we all have passion, we all have different ideas, and there's absolutely no reason why we can't implement them. We just have to start And um, we have to have faith that you know our our views are unique compared to others, and um, but yet, when we start having the conversation, you realize um, how in sync they are with so many, and you just start aligning with those who believe like you, and and things can happen fairly quickly, and uh, and not cost a lot of money, not take a lot of time, and all of a sudden you've got this network of passion that just uh, can really push over some barriers and and make some changes. So I appreciate you know all the work that that you have put in. Um, to telemedicine and um, also the remote patient mon- monitoring, and then sharing with us the the virtual reality and the augmented reality as well. It, it, was a, it was just a really interesting conversation, and I hope people will check out the links that we have there for you too on our blog and um, and look at some of the um, the uh, videos as well. And please feel free to. Yeah reach out to Roger, and what contact information um, is best for you, Roger?
2: So I can easily be reached uh, through LinkedIn. I've got a profile page there where you can uh, submit any questions, uh, contact, and and, uh, get in touch with. You can also uh, direct email me at roger.santos at ngcc5.com. That's number five. Um, either method, and I will be happy to contact and, and get in touch with you and share everything that I've got uh, and help help move this forward.
1: Okay, great. Thank you again so much for your time and uh, and your work in this movement. Really appreciate it, Roger. Um, before Thank I you. before I wrap up, again, I just want to give a shout out to people to please come and join us on our dementia friendly cruise and symposium. November 11th through the 18th we're going to be uh, going to the Caribbean with Holland America and it's going to be a lot of fun Um, and I think you'll learn a lot and walk away with a lot of new friends as well. Um, You can find information out by just going to alzheimerspeaks.com and then you can always contact Kathy Schoff who is our travel agent for our group. Um, as far as Alive and Social, in our past shows, you you know, they're all archived. We've been doing this for six years now, so there is lots of information out there. The most recent shows we did um, had to do with living and dying, and um, it, it was just a, a really, really interesting conversation that we had with the authors. We also had former Governor um, Marty Schreiber on, who wrote a book about his two lanes. Um, because his wife um, has dementia, and he talks about learning and coping and surviving the journey itself. Um, As far as dementia chats goes, the last one that I have posted has to do with social media and the impact it has on those living with dementia. I'm in the process of editing one, so look for this one on laughter and humor with people with dementia. I think that will be very, very interesting. On the blog, a couple of things of interest that you might like is there is a beautiful um, poem submitted by one of our members called A Rose in the Snow. And uh, there's an article on uh, Arthur's Residential Care, who is kind of one of my favorite places. I think that they just do an incredible job um, caring for those with dementia and some contact information for you with those. And we're going to be having an upcoming article by... um, dementia behavior specialist Elon or Elon Caspi and he has uh, written a a paper for the journal uh, International Journal of Social Research and Practice called Trust at Stake is the Dual Mission of the U.S. Alzheimer's Association Out of Balance. Um, In the meantime have a wonderful week and we will talk with you all soon. Thanks so much everybody have a great week.